Hello? I don't like holding the mic like this because then this, this feels really black church. Um, there's nothing wrong with black church. It's just, it's just I, get, I get nervous because when I enter into those spaces, things get crazy really, really quickly. Um, this keeps me sane. This is the Caucasian mic here. Um, no, but like I was saying, I, I'm super excited to open up God's word uh, this morning with you. We have been in a series uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians titled Messy Grace. Um, and the reason we titled it Messy Grace is that we're looking at a church that is incredibly messy. Uh, there's just a lot going on in this church, a lot of messy things happening in the church. And so Paul finds it necessary to write a letter to the church and to say, hey, listen, guys, I know things are crazy, but I want you to know that there is a grace that covers you. There is a grace that covers you, that it will meet you where you are, but it won't leave you there. It will draw you closer and closer to Christ. Um, and so it's been incredible uh, these past few weeks just looking at the book of Corinthians. And then also just, just kind of, it's like looking in the mirror because, to be honest, some of the things that are happening here aren't too far-fetched. They, they aren't too different from some of the things that we do. I may not be talking about Rooted Fellowship, but I'm talking about the church in general, that there's a lot of crazy things happening in the church today. But we're not to give up. God has not left the building. He is not pacing back and forth, wondering what on earth is going on. But His grace is sufficient. His grace is enough. And so my hope this morning is that you would experience a little bit of that grace, whether you are a Christian or not, that you would experience the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, you can meet me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, if you have been journeying with us, you might be sitting there going, well, what on earth is going on? We did chapter 6 last week. Why on earth are we jumping chapters? Don't worry. We are not skipping over those. We are going to come back to it. Um, you see, Paul, what he does is he tackles a few issues in chapter 6 and 7 that we found uh, or felt that it was necessary to maybe just go back to it and actually make it a series in of itself. So it's going to be a series within a series. He, he tackles some controversial things. And so we're not skipping those verses. We're actually going to come back to them. But the other reason is that, well, from chapter 8 to about the end of chapter 11, he sets chapter 6 and 7 quite nicely. So we're going to be covering some things so that when we get to chapter 6 and 7, you'll go, oh, it makes sense now. I understand why Paul is saying the things that he's saying in chapter 6 and 7 is because he's kind of set the scene from chapter 8 to 11. All right, so that's the reason. We are not skipping these verses. We will cover them. Um, but I think this is incredibly important for us to be able to look back in a couple of weeks as we tackle those chapters, what we're going to look at this morning. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to do the whole chapter this morning. Um, so if you have your Bible, you can look there. I believe it will be up on the screen as well. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage uh, and then I'm going to pray. All right, I'm going to pray for you. I ask that you pray for me that God would do something more powerful than we could ever imagine right here this very morning. If I was to title this message this morning, I'd simply call it Free to Serve. All right, Free to Serve. Let's read together. Hear these words of our Father. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something he does not yet know, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. 
For although they may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through their former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God, We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you, who have knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother from whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers, and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is rich, uh, that it continues to transform the lives of individuals. And so we ask that you uh, would do that work this morning, the work that only you can do. Um, We ask for your spirit to give insight and wisdom and for your spirit to lead. Uh, We ask that you would soften hearts, uh, that we would be prepared to receive from you. So, Lord, I pray against any distractions here this morning, uh, that our ears and minds would be open to you, the King of glory. And so it's to that end, Lord, that I ask that you would stand in my body, uh, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. God, you are our king, you are our redeemer. Would you have your way in this place this morning? In Jesus' beautiful, beautiful name, amen. Amen. Now, Paul starts in verse 1 of chapter 8 by saying, now concerning. All right, I'm going to pause here for a moment. Now concerning, because I want you to know this, that every time in the book of 1 Corinthians, when Paul starts with now concerning, I want you to know he's about to tackle a really difficult issue. He's about to tackle a really controversial issue. He does this in chapter 7, uh, verse 1, where he talks about sexuality and relationships. This is a series that we're going to cover in a couple of weeks. He does it again in chapter 12, where he talks about spiritual gifts. He does it again in chapter 16, where he addresses money. These are hot topics. These are controversial topics. And so he starts by now concerning. But here in chapter 8... He's talking about food. He's talking about food being offered to idols. So now concerning food offered to idols. Again, I'm going to pause here for a moment because I want you guys to see something. Don't miss it. I want us as Rooted Fellowship, as a gospel-centered, disciple-making, trans-cultural church to be able to look at the scriptures with those three things in mind. We're going to see gospel-centered as we kind of navigate through this passage. We're going to see disciple-making as we go through the passage. But don't miss the transculturalism that's here. Why talk about food? Why talk about food? Think about it. If Jews and Gentiles were coming to faith, and if Paul was setting up separate churches for them, there would be no reason to talk about food. It's like, well, the Jewish folk, you guys can start your church over here and fellowship over here and have a great time over here and eat your kosher food. And then Gentiles, you can have all the ribs that you want. But Paul doesn't do that. 
Paul doesn't do that. He, he sees that the gospel, the, the gospel, its direct implication is being transcultural, the bringing together of people from all walks of life. And so that's bound to bring up some issues. Because now all of a sudden I was told I was never to eat ribs. And now here are these Gentiles coming in, eating bacon, ribs that are wrapped in bacon, Ribs that are wrapped in bacon and then kind of dusted off with bacon dust. You know they make bacon dust? Like I couldn't believe it, but it exists. It's just like it's dust and you just kind of sprinkle it on your food. So what are we to do? How are we to handle this? So Paul finds it necessary to go, okay, listen, I want, I want to show you how the grace of God covers this. Now concerning food offered to idols... We, now, we know that all of us possess knowledge. All of us possess knowledge. You see, Paul is, is addressing them because of a letter that was written to him where these complaints were made. And I'm sure that in that letter, someone must have written, listen, Paul, it's crazy out here. It's crazy out here. You cannot believe it. There are folks out here eating food that they shouldn't be eating. They're eating food that they shouldn't be eating. It's sacrificed to idols. But then maybe someone then wrote another letter to him saying, but Paul, why does it matter? We know you just received that letter. Why does it matter? Are we not free in Christ? Are we not free in Christ? He says, all of us possess knowledge. I, I, I know this. I know this knowledge because he talks about it in verse 6 to 7. In verses 6 to 7, we see the, the content of this knowledge and its implications. Paul writes, therefore, in verse 4, therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. And so he says, listen, I received your letter. I received your letter that said, listen, all of us possess this knowledge that it actually shouldn't matter whether food is sacrificed to idols because, hey, those gods are not real gods because there's only one God. So Paul says, listen, I... I know this truth, and I know that you know this truth. Notice the implication of this truth in verse 5. For although they may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So yes, I understand that there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and from whom we exist, and the one Lord Jesus Christ through whom all things and through whom we exist exists. He's saying, listen, we serve one God and everything comes from him. And so therefore we should have freedom. We should have freedom. It doesn't matter that these guys are sacrificing this meat to these false gods because we know, because we have this knowledge, because we have the scriptures, we know that everything comes from you anyway. It doesn't come from these false idols that they're laying this meat before. It comes from the one true God. We have this knowledge and so surely Surely, Paul, you should disregard that original letter that was written to you complaining about us eating this food because there is freedom in Christ. There is freedom in Christ. See, but not everyone understood these truths. This is why Paul writes this chapter. Not everyone understood these truths. So Paul warns the knowledgeable ones that knowledge puffs up. He warns the knowledgeable ones that, hey, listen, knowledge puffs up. We see it here in the passage. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love builds up. 
You see, in making this comment, Paul is not rejecting the importance of sound biblical doctrine. He's not rejecting the importance of the knowledge of the things of Christ that we find in the scriptures. He is emphasizing that knowledge on its own is dangerous. That knowledge on its own is dangerous. See, knowledge can result in humility and love, but often it produces unsympathetic arrogance, which sadly lacks patience. See, knowledge, even of holy things, is not all that Christians must pursue. This is a kind of warning to all the academic theologians in the room, and I count myself in that group as well. Whether you're a conservative or a liberal, what Paul is saying here is be careful. Be careful with all that knowledge that you have in your head. Be careful. Because without love, it is dangerous. See, it's when your head is bigger than your heart, you become like a cancer to the body of Christ. When your head is bigger than your heart, you become a cancer to the body of Christ. You see, cancer is a growth. Because you might sit here and go, but, but I'm growing in all this knowledge. I'm growing with all this content. But without love, that knowledge can become like a cancer. And so even though the cancer is growing, instead of building up the body and making it stronger, it actually takes from the body. And it eventually kills the body. Knowledge without love is incredibly dangerous. Incredibly dangerous. But I know some of you might be sitting here going, oh, but what about speaking truth? Aren't we called to speak truth? Well, finish the rest of that passage. We are called to speak truth in love. Speak truth in love. There's so many of us that, that want to rush and say, listen, but this is what the truth says. This is what God's word says. But when we lack love, we become unsympathetic, arrogant, full of pride. Now, truth has its place. Truth is incredibly important, but without love, without love, it would be like this. Say now you know someone, you have a friend who has uh, two kids, and they're driving along Linwood, and their kids aren't buckled in. And so an accident happens, and, and the one kid goes through the front screen, dies instantly. You rush to the hospital to, to meet them there. And as you get there, as you get to the bed and you see the body there, dead, covered, you rush to the parents and you go, hey, do you not know that you're supposed to wear a seatbelt at the back? I mean, that's true. That's true. But that's not the first thing that you say. That's not the first thing that you say. You come in with love. Now, there's a, a place for truth. There's definitely a place for truth because they've got one kid left. And so at some point you want to go, hey, guys, um, I want to let you guys know that you should actually buckle up your kids. In fact, anyone that sits at the back should be buckled up. So truth is incredibly important. But without love, it's incredibly dangerous. Yes, we're called to speak truth, but we're called to do that in love. Knowledge cannot and should not be separated from the love of Christ. But we'll get to that in a moment. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Paul continues to layer it on. He, he, he lays it on thick in verse 2. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. 
Paul explains the tendency toward pride through knowledge by revealing the true nature of the person who thinks he knows something. See, he did not oppose people thinking themselves to have a measure of knowledge or insight. There's nothing wrong with knowing the scriptures. In fact, we are called to know the scriptures. We are called to study the scriptures, to go deeper and deeper into the scriptures. And so Paul doesn't oppose this, but rather he warned that those who believe they have mastered a subject, they're the ones that might become prideful. If at any point you think that you have mastered a subject, a particular subject in the scriptures, He says, be careful, you're beginning to walk into pride. Paul said that such people do not yet know as they ought to know. It's like, yes, you you know, but you don't know as you ought to know. That your head is bigger than your heart. They have not realized that all human knowledge is faint and fragment. Hardly the kind of knowledge from which they should be arrogant or proud about But then why call it human knowledge, right? Is this not God's word? Why why would you call it human knowledge? Is it not the scriptures? Well, when it lacks the supernatural love of Christ, it's just information. When it lacks the supernatural power of Christ, it's just information. How do I know this? There are many, many higher educational institutes that teach this, that provide degrees in this, but those people know nothing about the love of Christ. There's no supernatural love there. There's no supernatural power there. There's no Christ there. And so it's just information. It's good stories. Good history. It must, it must have the supernatural love of Christ. If it doesn't, it lacks the power of God. And so information without supernatural transformation never leads to any kingdom application. I'll say that again. I wish y'all took notes. I worked super hard this week on this. So, Information without supernatural transformation never leads to any kingdom application. And this is when our heads are bigger than our hearts. And so Paul warns the Corinthians. He warns the knowledgeable ones. Those who are saying, but surely we have freedom in Christ. See, Paul wants the Corinthians to place a premium on love. A premium on love and not on knowledge. He indicates the superiority of love by reminding them that the one who loves God is known by God. The one who loves God is known by God. In verse 3, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. This expression of known by God speaks to redemption. It speaks of our redemption. Paul meant that unlike the prideful people who center their religious lives around knowledge, those who focus on love demonstrate that they have been redeemed. It's a demonstration of the the reality, the truth that I have been redeemed, that I have been purchased by the blood of Christ. When I choose love over knowledge, or maybe a better way to say it is when I allow love to drive knowledge. It's evidence that we have been redeemed, purchased by the blood of Christ. Again, I am not saying that knowledge is not important. I know that there's some in the room that are just waiting for that opportunity to go, but wait, 
Aren't we called to, to know more of God and His Word? Well, yes, it's to know more of God. Proverbs 1 verse 7. Many of you know this passage. For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. What's the focus? It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all discipleship. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all evangelism. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all prayer. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all worship. We cannot start with knowledge. We must begin with the fear of the Lord. And, and this, this fear speaks of reverence. It's almost this respect. It's this, this being in awe of who God is. The best way to explain it is... Um, Every now and then I get to go uh, to the ocean, to the beach, to the coast, right? I don't go a lot. It's not my favorite place. But every now and then I do. And when I'm standing on the beach and I'm looking at the ocean, contemplating whether to go in or not, there's this fear, this reverence, that I'm, I'm in wonder of the ocean. It's amazing. It's beautiful. But at the same time, I respect it. I respect it. And so I'm not foolish enough to go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to see how far I can go in, just maybe with no real swimming skill. And I do possess swimming skill. I am not, the, like, don't generalize when you look at me. I have some serious skills in the water. But I respect it. Or maybe it's like going to the lion park. None of you, none of you will just kind of just Maybe Kyle, maybe. But, but most of us won't just kind of walk in. Hey, Simba, what's up? No, we, we keep a distance. We admire the, the beauty of the lion. But we keep a distance. There's a reverence there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And so for those whose heads have become bigger than their hearts, they've lost that fear. And so they would rather read this Proverbs 1 verse 7 as the fear of me is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of my favorite author is the beginning of all knowledge. The fear of my favorite doctrine is the beginning of all knowledge. And Paul warns the church and he says, no, no, brothers and sisters. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of all knowledge. It starts with God, not knowledge. Because the emphasis is in the giver of knowledge and not the knowledge. But again, we'll get to that. Don't want to get ahead of myself. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge. I've already mentioned this. That, that Paul says, listen, I, I know that the, the knowledgeable ones, you guys know this, but not everybody in the church possesses this knowledge. Requiring a, a need for patience. Not everybody's at the same level as where you are. That we're all on a journey in different places. Yes, we are to point one another to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, but we're all on a journey. And so, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience being weak is defiled. It's important to note here that the conscience is the place where our values are informed. And so if our values aren't being informed by the truths of God because of a relationship with God, every word is incredibly important. If, if 
If our values aren't being informed by the truths of God because of a relationship with God, then whatever is informing us will convict us and will cause us to go back to the things that we turned away from when we first came to Christ. So Paul says there, there are some who don't possess this knowledge, brothers and sisters. Be patient with them. Otherwise, they're going to end up going back to the things that they turned away from when coming to Christ. He says something incredibly important in verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it and no better off if we do. What he's saying here is almost going, listen, this is a non-issue. I know that you've taken time to write this letter and I'm thankful for it. But this is kind of a non-issue because food will not commend us to God. Why are you wrestling with one another over this? Food will not bring us closer to God, nor will it grant us prosperity. See, this is why many of them were still sacrificing meat to these false idols because they were believing that if I do this, it'll draw me closer to God, that God will favor me. Paul says, but if you're knowledgeable, and it seems that you are because you've just, you've given me the reason to why you should have freedom in Christ, that you should eat whatever you want to eat, then you should also know that this is a non-issue because food will not bring us closer to God. This is a superstition, a false idolatry if you think so. That only Jesus can bring us closer to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Knowledgeable ones, you should know this, that it's only through Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we are brought closer to God. And so, that means that if food cannot bring us closer to God, that means there's no man of God or woman of God who can as well. Oh, how the church needs to hear this. I, I got to the opportunity of being in Kenya this past week, getting to serve some of the local men and women there who are doing incredible work, faithful to see the kingdom of God advance. And they were saying that this is a massive issue in their context. Men and women of God parading as if they are the ones who bring people closer to God. But let's be honest, I didn't have to go to Kenya to see that. And get in my car and just drive 30 minutes. I get in my car and drive 10 minutes. That we have idolized these individuals, believing that they are the ones, they are the only ones that can bring me closer to God. And so Paul is he's, he's talking about food, but I want us to see the bigger picture here. None of this stuff will bring us closer to God. But I know many of you here, you know that. You know that food won't bring me closer to God. And you know that there's no man or woman that can bring you closer to God. So let me, let me get into your living room. Let me put my feet up on your coffee table. Let's, let's get comfortable so that I can make you uncomfortable. Your gift, your spiritual gift, will not bring you closer to God. See, I, I hear it way too often where people are like, you know what? I love my gift. I love the, the gift that God has given me. And whatever it is, we're going to get to it. I know it's a controversial hot topic, so we're definitely going to get to it because Paul starts by saying, now concerning. So we will get to it. But let me say it here that, that 
for many of us, we, we'll talk about the spiritual gifts that God has given us, and we'll be like, yeah, you know, that's the thing that brings me closer to God. And so, uh, uh, hey, Ane, can, we, can we practice this in church? Can I practice this in my community group, in my city group, in my discipleship group? Because I believe it brings me closer to God. Let me just put it out there. If you say that to me, I want you to know that this is going to be the response. Thanks for sharing. I'm not going to pray that God takes away that gift. Because that gift does not bring you closer to God. The only person that reconciles you to God is Jesus. He's the only one. Now, now there's a reason that he gives gifts. There is a reason that he gives gifts, and, and I'll say it now, but I'll, I'll go into depth when we get to that series. It's for the benefit of the community. It's for the benefit of the community. Our gifts are given to us so that we might love one another, point one another to who? The only one that can bring us closer to God. Now, now I get it, I get it. I know what you, some of you are saying when you say that, when you, like, you know, when I prophesy. Mm. Mm. I feel closer to God. I get what you're saying. But I'm just scared that you, you might run the danger of, okay, I, I kind of get what I'm saying to, listen, I've completely lost the plot here. And I'm so dependent on this gift instead of being dependent on God. I hear way too many brothers who preach the word Every week, talk about this. Is Man, only when I'm preaching God's word, I feel, I feel like I'm connected to God. No, you should be connected to God when you see the beauty and the wonder of who Jesus is. The preaching, the preaching is so that you might love and serve the community. And so God, yes, will definitely use that to strengthen his connection with you. But that does not bring you closer to God. Jesus and Jesus alone. And so he makes the point in verse 8, reminding the knowledgeable ones. I understand what you're saying, but we shouldn't be making this an issue. He then says to the knowledgeable ones, with a, a caring and warning pastoral heart. I love that up to now, he's kind of been the serious academic theologian. He now transitions and becomes the pastor. A caring and compassionate heart. He warns the knowledgeable ones in verse 9. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. This is a warning to those who speak of their freedom. Who elevated over and above loving others. They speak of their freedom, but they, they elevated over and above loving others. Paul says those who understand that they have freedom must also understand that they have a responsibility to use this freedom in the service to others. There's a responsibility in the freedom of Christ. Galatians 5 verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. We have a responsibility to use this freedom that we have to serve one another. See, we need to learn to restrain our freedom when it threatens to damage others. Oh, how this is a difficult thing. Those who understand sound doctrine must also take into account the weaknesses of others around them. Their knowledge must not overshadow their love for their brothers and sisters. 
Your knowledge should never do that. It should never trample those who are trying to learn, who are trying to understand, who are wrestling. But rather, you should lift them up with your love. Lift them up with your love. He then kind of gives a, an illustration. He gives them a scenario in verse 10. He says, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, Will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. He plays out this scenario. He says, if a knowledgeable Christian eats in an idol's temple with, one, with a weak conscience, the misinformed Christian, the young Christian, the, the one who doesn't know yet, if he sees him eating, then the misinformed one will be encouraged to eat. He'll go, well, hold on. I've just turned away from this, but, but yet I, I see my brothers and sisters eating. Oh, may, maybe, maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay. And, and this is what it does. For those who are misinformed, this is what it does. He will think that the knowledgeable one believes that eating the idol sacrificed meat is of benefit. He will believe that, yes, okay, uh, it's not just Jesus, but it's also this. It's Jesus plus. And this will lead to idolatry. This will lead to idolatry. So he's warning the knowledgeable ones, yes, you have freedom in Christ. But understand that you're in community. And that not everybody is where you are. And so you might have to restrain some of your freedoms. For the benefit of others. With the hope that, that, that they too one day, as they grow in Christ, will get to that place where they'll realize like, oh, hold on, food does not commend me. It does not bring me closer to Christ. That this doesn't matter. Therefore, the brother or sister, the weak one, will be encouraged into idolatry. We do this every day. And when I use the word we, I'm calling myself the knowledgeable one. I do this regularly where I no longer think about my other brothers and sisters. Maybe some who have just come to Christ. Some who have just crossed the line of faith. I go, ah, oh, but like, there's freedom, man. I'm just going to continue doing whatever it is I want to do. They should know this. But Paul says they don't. They don't. Not yet. So be patient. Paul delivers the final blow by intensifying the connection between these actions and Christ. See, Christ did more than just die for these people. He united them to himself in such a way that Paul could say, when you sin against your brothers and sisters in this way, you sin against Christ. I mean, that, that should be the final blow. If you've been uh, up to now just still going, mm, no, I still don't see it that way. I still, don't, I still don't understand. I should have freedom to do whatever it is that I want to do. I'm not sinning. Like, none of, this, none of this comes from these false idols. Whatever it is that you're doing, all of it comes from God. Food comes from God. Music comes from God. Surely, surely I should have freedom to do this. Paul gives the final blow by saying, when you do this, when you disregard your brother and sister, you sin against Christ if you are to lead them to a place where they would turn away from Jesus and turn back from, turn to whatever it is that they turned away from in the beginning. 
Notice in verse 12, he says, Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Christians, be careful. Be careful that you don't use your freedom to sin against Christ. I mean, you might sit here and go, well, I don't really care about my brothers and sisters. Surely you should care about Christ. And so don't sin against him. Not only does Jesus save us, but he unites us. He unites with us. He becomes family with us. And so when you hurt your brothers and sisters, you hurt Jesus Christ. That's the point that Paul is making. And so we should be careful not to use our freedom to sin against Christ. But, but let's make it practical. What, what does that look like? What does that tangibly look like? See, for some of us, we'll talk about, well, I have freedom to wear whatever I want. And there's truth to that. To a place. Right? Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. But in general, there's, yeah, you have the freedom to wear whatever it is that you want to wear. And this is both men and women. I'm not just talking to the ladies. because I know often this is, this is then directed at the ladies. This is men and women. Sometimes you've got to restrain your freedom to wear whatever you want for the benefit of others. Because you have no idea some of the struggles that people are facing. What people have come out of where Jesus has saved people from. And so be mindful. Be mindful in what you wear. Here's one for me. Drinking. The consuming of cold, fresh, refreshing beverages of the fermented nature. You're not going to catch me. I'm telling you, you're not going to catch me saying that word up here. Some of us got to restrain ourselves from drinking. There's freedom in Christ to drink. Absolutely. Absolutely. But there are many, many, and some in here who struggle with it. Who God has pulled out from a life of drunkenness. And so when you just kind of parade your alcohol, there's freedom in Christ, there's freedom in Christ, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know that you're creating a stumbling block for your brother or your sister. And so be mindful. Be mindful of where you drink and with who you drink with. The music, the arts... Here's another one. Now, there's stuff that we definitely shouldn't be listening to. And then there's a lot of stuff that's kind of in the gray. Because I know there's some of you in here that are like, well, if, if it doesn't say anything about Jesus and doesn't quote one verse, then I don't know if we should be listening to it. Well, I go, but, but hold on. It's art. And God is incredibly creative. And so like Paul says in Romans, that we should be able to just to look to everything that we see, to look to the heavens, to look to the universe and to go, you know what, God is in it. There's no verse written up in the sky. But we should be able to look to it and say, God exists. He is glorious. He is sovereign. And so often that will happen just in, the, in a painting, in a simple painting. We should see the beauty of who Jesus is. But you see, some of us, some of us, we, we take that freedom to fall. And so you'll show up to a Sunday gathering and on your phone just start blasting music and not realizing that, hey, hold on, there's people who are going, I just came out of that situation. Oh, I guess it's okay. Okay, it's, okay. it's Jesus plus. 
It's Jesus plus. Here's a good one. Theology. Oh, it went quiet really, really quick. Look, we hold to the essentials of the gospel. Those are closed-handed issues. We will never stray from them. It's what makes us a church. We are anchored in the gospel, but, but there's a whole bunch of other things in here that are secondary and tertiary. Baptism being one. I know that there are folks in here who go, yeah, listen, I'm, I, don't, I believe in, in the baptizing of babies. I'm a pedo-baptist. Now look here, we have a positional standing at Rooted, and, and I've made it clear to many of you. We baptize believing adults, those who are able to say, to profess that I have given my life to Jesus Christ. But the act of baptism doesn't save you. So we don't see it as a primary issue. But many of us will go, oh, but there's freedom in all this theology. There's, there's freedom to say this and freedom to say that. Be mindful. Be wise. Use discernment. And be patient. Be patient. See, those are some of the beauties of being in a transcultural community. We have folks who are on this side all the way to this side. I, I talk about it when I talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit often. We have folks in here who go, no, no, I believe all the gifts have ceased. We have folks in this church that believe that, and I love that. I love that Rooted is a safe place where they can say that. But then on the other side, we have folks who are sitting on the edge of their seats wondering, is today the day? Is, is today the day that the Holy Spirit does something incredible and mist and it rains indoors? Is, I know today's, I had really good coffee when I walked in, so today must be, like we have those folks in here. Not today. And, and, and so this is what we do. We, we'll take those and then we'll go to war with one another. Guys, I'm not going to labor on this. It's happening out there. This is why we have certain churches. There's this church that believes this and this church. Oh, no, no, we all believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the center of everything, that only through him you can be reconciled to God. But, but yeah, we don't hang out with those guys because, yeah, they, uh, they take communion from shot glasses. Yeah, we just, uh, yeah, you need to do it from up front in one of those golden uh, wine glass. what do you call it? A chalice. You know, you need to, only, only then can, can, I mean, it's ridiculous. Be careful how we navigate through some of these theological issues, especially when they're not the primary issue. And I'll say this one, it wasn't on it, but seeing as we spoke about it this morning, even tithing, the giving of your resources and of your time and of your money. There's a reason that here at Rooted Fellowship, we only do it once a month. We, someone gets up here and reminds us of the beauty, the beauty of getting to give. It's an act of worship. But we only do it once a month because I know many of you come from backgrounds where this was abused. And many of you were hurt by this. And so, yes, there's freedom. There's freedom to talk about money. Jesus spoke about money a lot. There is freedom to talk about money, but, but we restrain our freedom for the benefit of others. We want people to be able to walk in here and go, okay, no, this church is not just about money. They're not just trying to get money from my pocket. Be careful that you don't use your freedom to sin against one another.
because we end up sinning against Christ. Be patient. Be patient with others. Why? Because Christ was patient with you. Christ is still patient with you. So be patient with others. Love as Christ loves you. Paul lands the plane in verse 13. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. I mean, this is extreme. This is how I know Paul is a beast. I never want to be like Paul, but, but therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. See, for this reason, Paul drew a firm conclusion out of love for his fellow brothers and sisters and out of love for Christ himself that he would never eat meat again because if eating meat caused his brothers and sisters to stumble, he was like, well then, then I don't need to. Yes, it's a freedom that I have, but I, I don't need to. Paul might be exaggerating the point here, but I also think that he was being truthful. He loved the Corinthians so much that he was like, listen, I'm willing to give up those ribs from Tribeca. I practiced just to say that. But it's something that I must believe. I have freedom in Christ, but I should be willing to let go of that for the sake of others because I love you. I love you. And if you cannot say that, then you must ask yourself this question. Do I really love Christ? Do I really love Christ? Or do I love the things that he gives me more? I know some of you are still probably wondering, but what about my freedom? Okay, it makes sense and I understand, but gosh, I'm free in Christ. I'm not doing anything wrong. About my freedom. Almost like it shouldn't be my problem, it's your problem. You need to go and grow in Christ. You need to read your Bible. It's not my problem. I've done the work and so I've realized that I'm free in Christ. Let me say this real quick don't confuse liberty and freedom. For those of you who say that, don't confuse liberty and freedom. Now, I know in our everyday language, we kind of use them as the same. But the scriptures use it differently. See, when we talk about liberty, this is what Jesus has done for those who have crossed the line of faith. For those who now put their trust in Jesus, liberty is what has been given to you. And when Jesus died on the cross, you were liberated. You were liberated. The chains of death and sin were removed. They fell off immediately at the point where you gave your life to Jesus. And so you were liberated. You were moved from darkness to light. From death to life. And so in that liberation, you now have freedom. You now have freedom. And so you can never lose your liberation. That can never be taken from you. But there are places where we restrain our freedom, where we diminish our freedom. And we do this because we know we have been liberated. See, we use our freedom to serve one another. 
We're called to use our freedom to serve one another. Let me point you to the greatest example. Let me point you to Jesus. See, Jesus gave up his freedom. He gave up his freedom. Think about it. I, I think too often we just read the passages here in this Bible too quickly. And sometimes we need to pause for a moment and just, just kind of sit there for a while. Jesus gave up his freedom. Jesus, who is Jesus? He's the creator of everything that we see, that we experience, and that we know. Colossians 1 makes this point. He's the creator of everything. He's, he's, he was there in the beginning. And so he leaves heaven. He leaves heaven to come and live among his creation. But see, many of us, we tend to transition too quickly. We, we take Jesus leaving heaven to Jesus starting his ministry as an adult. Maybe some of us will go back a little bit. When he kind of ran away from his parents. But I want to go right to the beginning. Guys, the creator of heaven and earth at one point was a baby. Talk about giving up your rights and your power. He was a baby. I, when I hold my youngest, I realize that, that my child is completely dependent on me. She cannot feed herself. She cannot change herself. And so when Jesus gave up his freedom to come and live among us, he became a child, a baby. Talk about diminishing your freedom. He was still fully God, right? That's one of the beautiful mysteries of the gospel, that he was fully God, but, but he was fully man as well. And so he gave up his freedom to be now dependent on Mary, dependent on Joseph. He had to be taught how to speak. He had to be taught how to walk. The creator of everything, not only the creator, but the sustainer. The fact that your heart continues to beat in your chest is because Jesus allows it, but he gives it up. He gives up that freedom. Jesus gave up his freedom so that he might serve. He gave up his freedom so that he might serve. Serving us by laying down his life. And as he did that, so that we might be liberated. Y'all see the connection? We're free to serve. We're free to serve because the one who was seated on the throne came down, left heaven, gave up his freedom to serve us. And he served us by laying down his life for us so that we might be liberated. Why? So that we might serve. So that we might serve. And so I started this message by titling it Free to Serve. But I, at this point, I don't think that that's the right title for it. But rather, free to serve because we are liberated to love. We are free to serve because we are liberated to love. To love who? To love God and to love people. To love God, we are liberated. The chains are removed so that we might love God. We might be reconciled back to him. 
And then we're reconciled to one another so that we might love and serve one another. And if that means diminishing some of our freedoms, not liberation, you cannot lose your liberation, but, but if it means restraining some of your freedoms so that you can love one another, then that is what we are called to do. And every time it feels difficult, every time you're like, I don't want to do it, every time you're like, well, they should know better, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. And so, Father, we... We're so thankful that that you would use a situation between brothers and sisters, a situation that happens in the community, the, the offering up of food to false idols, that you would use that to remind us of the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the gospel. The only reason that we can love you is because you first loved us. And that you left heaven to come and live among your creations. This is the one thing, like the one of many that separates Christianity from any other religion is that our God left heaven to come and live among his own creation. He humbled himself, giving up freedom. And then you lived the life that we could not live, allowing the death that we all deserved, liberating us, I think of Luke chapter 4. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, says Jesus, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And that's us. That's us. But because of grace, you have called us into a relationship with the Father. And then now, reconciling us with one another. And so I ask that we would have a heart that seeks to serve one another and over and above knowing things. That yes, it's good to know your word. It's good to know scripture. It's incredibly important. Because as we do that, we get to see you and we know you, but we are not to separate that from the love of Christ. And so I pray for those who maybe have used their freedom as a stumbling block to others, I ask that you would forgive us. I ask that you would forgive me. Because in that moment, I no longer see my brother and my sister. I only see myself. Forgetting that you have called me into a community. You have called me into a family. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that this would draw us closer to you. Draw us closer to you. And as that happens, that our our arms would continue to extend wider and wider so that we might receive others. All of us at a different place on this journey to know and love you. Give us patience. Give us compassion. Give us love. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray.